Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Imogen Craigmile, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a technical author working in the logistics software industry. If you have read this month's Info Plus newsletter, you may have read that I was supposed to be chatting with CJ Walker. This has been moved to next month, and you'll be really excited to see who this month's guest turned out to be. This month, I chatted with Rahel Bailey, owner of Content Seriously Consulting Limited. Our conversation spanned topics such as gender bias in the tech world, content strategy, and the joy of writing. To begin with, I asked Rahel to tell me about how her passion for content strategy developed and if she studied anything related to technical communications at university or college. My career began um, a long time ago. I was uh, I had started off in university studying psychology, uh, realized that I couldn't make any money until I really had a master's degree and as a single parent thought, no, this isn't going to work. So then I switched to business and hated it. And then I thought like, I love working with words. I'm always writing. Um, writing was my thing in, in high school. There must be work that I can do that, you know, where I work with words. And I had switched then to, to English and I was doing um, various, you know, uh, poetry and short stories and, and so on, creative writing. But I was also doing nonfiction. So, you know, like some journalism stuff and whatever. And I went, that's what really what I want to do. So I found a job, um, a job posting as a proofreader. And I applied for it and got it. And then I just um, never looked back. I just worked with content ever since then. And that was... Uh, I think 1989, I got into working with uh, with content. So um, was it technical writing? I didn't study technical writing then. Where I studied technical writing was in many, many, many professional development courses over the years. So I would take one or two, three things a year in the evening just to keep my hand in and, and to – you know, it's kind of like a create your own adventure professional development. Uh-huh. Um, they didn't really have content strategy then. Content strategy was when the web came along in the, the 1990s, because before you produced content as manuals, really. And so even then, um, they didn't call it content strategy. We did. I did work on a team of 80 writers who had to write for a family of products and so we mixed and matched content we all had to write the same way so that you could pull in a chapter from somewhere that chapter is like each chapter was about a feature so you would say this um, this piece of equipment has 40 features that piece of equipment has 50 features you pull in the 10 extra features and now you've got a chapter so or you (laughs) might pull in six uh, features and then you write the other four so um, they didn't even call that content strategy. That was just, you know, what you did off the side of your plate as a tech writer. Then um, I started 
calling myself a content strategist in, you know, 2001, 2002, but nobody knew what it was. And so, you know, you have to call yourself something that will bring the work in. Uh And so it wasn't until Anne Rockley wrote her book in 2003 about a unified content strategy that some people, like in tech writing, they were kind of starting to get it. But the term content strategy really didn't come alive until 2009 when Christina Halverson, um, because she comes from more of a you know marketing background, um, a persuasive writing background, that it really took off. And you can go back and see kind of the Google searches on that term, and it just kind of goes along, and all of a sudden, whoop, it goes way up, and that's 2009. So uh, did I study it? No, there was no place to study it. You just... Either you were so predisposed or you weren't. And the irony is that I teach it at a master's level in Austria. Right. (laughs) But I don't have a degree in it because there wasn't a degree at the time that I was learning this. Yeah. But I suppose you've got so much experience. Um, Sometimes experience is better than, yeah, having a degree in something you know for teaching and such yeah yeah and people call me you know like that I'm a thought leader and so on and so forth but um it it wasn't like I set out to be a thought leader I did the things that I knew were the thing to do so when I first started my company um I remember all these uh, discussions where people were frustrated with um they were saying like okay how do you do it? Like, show me what a deliverable looks like. You know, what are we doing? How do we do this? And people would talk about it, but they wouldn't share with each other. Like, they wouldn't actually show what a deliverable was. It was probably because, you know, well, deliverable was for a client, and you're under NDA, and you can't show it. But I solicited. I did this multi-piece, um, uh, series, like a series of blog posts on the various deliverables for content strategy and I asked people to contribute and they did, they came forward and contributed and, you know, we wrote an article on it and they contributed to it. And, um, so then I became quite known for that because they had to come to my website to get it. And then, you know, so, and I was doing a lot of blogging and I was very active on Twitter and active on LinkedIn. So, you know, it just kind of, I guess I, I, um, rose to a place of prominence because of these kind of that factor at that time like today doing it today you'd probably get a very different result because everybody's doing it but back then it was relatively um new and so you know doing these things was a a kind of a novelty and um because of my um like i'm really curious about things and i want to see um and hear different things, I want to learn different things, I would go and learn about all of the professional um, activities that were with what I would call adjacent professions. Like, oh, how does business process engineering work? How does um, code work? How does, um, I don't know, all sorts of things that, you know, were like usability was a big thing then. They, they didn't even talk about user experience, user, but um uh, usability and uh, so I would you know take courses in it I would learn about it so I got right. to the point where I could pull all the puzzle pieces together and so that becomes valuable because you understand how 
content strategy interacts with all the other parts of the organization. Yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned curiosity. I feel like just over these four interviews that I've done, that's um, a really common thread between like all technical communicators. Like we are all very curious about how things work and why they work and how, how everything knits together. I've, mm-hmm. I've noticed that. I think you mentioned your business. I know you're a business owner and you're the, the CEO of, I want to get it right, Content Seriously Consulting Limited. Can you tell me a bit about your company and the sort of work that you do? Okay, so I um, I have a little company, and I really am a, um, a one-man band. I'm a company of one. I do have associates, and if I have the need to bring in people with certain specialties, like a taxonomist, a digital asset management expert, or a localization expert, I bring them into a project with me. Uh, otherwise, um, I just kind of do my thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, and I enjoy doing it. So what I do is um, I've kind of moved towards content operations because I realize that every time I do a content strategy, I'm way more interested in the operational efficiencies than I am in the editorial side. Like the editorial side, everybody knows about. Organizations might be struggling a bit with their editorial side strategy, but it's easier, 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 I'm not sure which, <laughs> to um, get that aligned. It's much harder for them to get the processes in place and the technology in place and the people in place to actually make the magic happen, to get that production pipeline going, to um, use your assets and reuse your assets, your content assets in a way that uh, really does justice to the cost of producing it in the first place. So um, I started calling myself a content operations consultant, uh, but really what I do is strategies, content strategies, with content operations in mind, if that makes any uh-huh. sense. So the content, it, it's like um, it, the strategy is like building a house or designing a house. And so that's the strategy part. And then you have the actual building the house. So that's like the implementation, right? And the contractors do that, right? You've got the electrician and the plumbers and whoever. And then um, operations is like living in the house, you know, so operating the house. So you're, um, if you don't do the strategy right, you might not have a good operating model that suits the people who work in the house and who and you you might not have the the right operating model for um the needs of the people in the house so if i relate it back to a physical house it would be uh i'm going to get an architect and i'm going to tell them that we have one person in the family who's in a wheelchair so we want no stairs and we want um we want uh, wider door frames or whatever it might be, right? So you have to know what you're designing for to make sure you're designing the right operating model. And so that's kind of where I come in is putting all this together. What kind of clients, what kind of businesses do you work with then? Oh, they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, are they, are they quite international? Is it just lots of um, yeah, different you know, types. Of. And, uh, so I had a business that went from uh, kind of 2001, 2002 up until 2015. And then I went in-house 
and uh, and now I've gone back to consulting. So since I've gone back to consulting, I've had uh, an Ivy League university, uh, a department of an Ivy League university. I've had a couple of government departments. I've had a startup. I've had um, manufacturing companies. Um, so anywhere, kind of Europe, UK, and even the US. Um, uh-huh. Before then, I was in Canada, but I had, uh, again, um, large organizations um, in the UK. I, I had three or four clients in the UK. I had clients a lot in the United States. So I spent years just getting on a plane on Monday morning and going somewhere and, you know, working there till Thursday and Friday, flying back and, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, huh. So there are companies and I've had small, very small companies as well, which, which was a very short, um, intense engagement. But, um, you know, the, 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 the simpler your business model and the lesser amount of content you already have to remediate the shorter the engagement is going to be. When you have a, a big behemoth, you know, FTSE 100 company or FTSE 250 company, it's going to be a longer engagement. I've had year-long engagements, like over a year long, where it, it took a lot of figuring out, <laughs> you know, all uh-huh. the different uh, stakeholders and departments and processes and so on. And then I've had very tiny companies where, they wanted to to do something, but they spoke to me right up front, and I gave them the, the tools and techniques that they needed, and then they just went off and ran with it. And you know, we're producing like 263 documents uh, for compliance, all auto-generated, and I'm like, good, I'm, <laughs> I'm <glad>. yeah. <laughs> that sounds really cool. It sounds like um, you know, no no two weeks would be the same for you. Then you just no, uh, and that's what yeah. I love about it. it. Is it keeps me thinking. It keeps me challenged because I love a good challenge. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, speaking of challenges, what's it like being um, well a business owner and also being a female business owner and a female in you know the tech world? Because as a female in the tech world, there's I know there's not many of us. Um, I know in my company, I am one of the only females in the office so right. yes it can be tough yeah I, 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 that's been the story of my life for you know 20 some odd years of of practicing in in this field and so there there's a saying in dutch the, um, don't buy a dog and do all the barking yourself and <laughs> i like it I, I think that sometimes happens in in this industry where you are um well especially in in my age group because i'm i'm an older i'm a mature woman and so um guys think of their moms right they think you know they they look at me and they see their mom but their mom is the mom who can't figure out how to set up her email huh. and her their mom is the one the person who needs them to come over and fix whatever they did to the ipad and I'm not that mom. Yeah. But because they think of me that way, they tend to discount what I say. Or we always have a bit of a tug of war somewhere in the process where uh, I'm um, advocating for something, and they go, "Nah, we don't. We don't want to listen to this. Uh, we know better." And um, then you have to figure out what to do to kind of get things back on track, or whether you just say, you know what, you're going to get what you bought. And, you know, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, God, Godspeed and God bless, but uh, I'm not the person for you. So uh, I've discovered in a couple of situations where I would tag team with a um, a techie guy who's 15 years younger than me, and I say something, and then they look at him and they answer, <laughs> and then he looks at me, and then I answer them. And then they right. answer him, and it works because they think that he's giving them great advice. Yes, yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a gender bias, there's an age bias, and there's a, a – it's like professional solipsism. We are technologists. We know. And I had actually someone say to me, uh, a developer, when I was talking about a help authoring tool – so you've probably worked with a help authoring tool. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm explaining to him that if you do this in the help authoring tool, you can fix all 14 places at once and not have to copy and paste. And they went, oh, that's really interesting. They, Our writers are not smart enough to use that tool. And I was gobsmacked. I was just like, <laughs> I can't believe you said that. And, and I'm thinking, like, you're really not giving – content people enough credit you know i uh -huh. i learned it and i learned it with very little um supervision you know i didn't take a course or anything a friend showed me how to use most of the functions and then we worked together on a project and that was it so what makes you think that writers aren't smart enough yeah at this point in our conversation, I want to ask Rahel about what she thought her greatest achievements were in her vast career. I'd be hard-pressed to choose one greatest achievement. Uh, I think I, I could kind of put it into categories. So one, uh, one category of achievements is when a client just listens and you can go from a standing start to full-throttle publishing with new tools and new processes and upskilled um, uh, uh, content people and um, subject matter experts who get it and the technologists are on board. They understand that the technology is supporting content and so they're eager to find the right tools and implement them in a way that, that supports content. And then you just like six months later, they're up and running. To me, that's like the biggest success. You don't uh -huh. get many of those. There are always hiccups along the way. But when you do get that client who just says, that's fine, let's go, then I love that. I love that. Um, another category is uh, around uh, teaching. So as, as I mentioned, I teach in a content strategy master's program. So um, – this year, there were three students who decided they wanted to do their thesis on content operations. And that, to me, was so great because uh, that means that, you know, they took a very uh, small piece of the, you know, of the overall program. You know, they've got – it's a two-year program, and I teach them content operations in – kind of a four-week program, that's it. They get four weeks of content operations, you know, a couple of hours at a time, and they saw enough value in it to say, wow, I want to do this at my company, and I've gotten the buy-in to, to work on it, and I'm going to do my thesis on this. And so, you know, when I see those things happen, I just, 
I, I love it. And so it doesn't have to be that particular example, but over the years, I've worked with um, various students. I've been their thesis supervisor, and they've come up with really creative topics for the thesis. And I just think, yes, you know, we, we've, we've taught them well. So that's another category of, um, uh, of what I've done. And the, the, the third would be when I get to work on a team. So let's say a digital agency calls me in and they ask me to be on their team. And so they've got UX people, they've got uh, developers, they've got, um, you know, like a whole team of people, but they huh. don't have a content person, so they put me in, and I find some fatal flaw and I fix it, and then they realize the benefit of working with a content person. And it might not be me, but, you know, it's somebody, then I love that as well. I just... Um, I go away thinking, I did good today. I did good for the industry. <laughs> yeah, no, those three are all really cool. Um, I especially like the teaching one. I think, um, well, my parents are both teachers, but I, I think oh, yeah. it must be so rewarding um, to teach people and then to sort of know you've influenced them and that they were interested in what you were saying. That must be a really nice feeling. <laughs> I was excited to learn that Rahel is a fellow of the Institute of Scientific and Technical Communicators, and I wanted to know more about what that entails. So I moved to the UK um, at the end of 2013. So before that, I was a member of the STC, the you know the uh, the United States based STC uh, since oh I don't know 1990 maybe. So from um, and I'm still a member of that, and I became a fellow there and served on the board and the whole the whole thing, but. I didn't really know much about the ISTC other than it was out there and it was mainly on uh, the east side of the Atlantic. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but once I uh, landed here, you know, I I went to con a couple of conferences and I spoke and so on, and they made me an honorary fellow. And I thought that that was, um, you know, it was a great honor for me um, because – so back in in North America, I had what I would call like name recognition. Everyone knew my name, and I would go to a conference, and you know people would come and talk to me, and so on and so forth. Whereas over here, it was like nobody knew me, and so yeah. when they um, when the people like CJ and Alice Pratt and you know those folks um, kind of recognized me and recognized the value I was now bringing to my new home in the UK. Uh, it was it was an honor for me. Now, um, because I I do content strategy and not so much with techcom anymore, that I I'm not that involved with the ISTC. Although you know, if anyone asks me to write an article or to run a workshop or something for members, I'm always happy to do that because I believe in giving back. So um, you know, the the benefit is that you get to know people and you you get to, um, you know, to, to give back and share your knowledge and also to learn from the membership new things and new, um, uh, new skills and new, um, you know, new software, whatever it may be, you know, you know that there's somebody out there who can explain it to you. Yeah, I agree. It is, there is a community feel. I'm really glad that I'm a member. Have you ever taken part in TC UK, the ISTC host a conference or yes. are you on the books to do it soon or anything like that? 
So I spoke at TCUK, um, you know, for a couple of years, like every other year kind of I would go. Uh, actually, the last time I was there, I was uh, giving a, a presentation, and then um, I went up to my hotel room, and my phone started to ring incessantly while I was – I had to teach online to my students in Austria – and my phone was ringing incessantly, and uh, it turns out we'd had a break-in at my flat in, in London, and I had to rush home and leave the conference in the middle. And um, I, uh, I haven't been back since. I'm <laughs> hoping that I'm okay. part of it. But, um, yeah, no, I, um, you know, of course I'd love to speak again. Uh, for two years we kind of had a hiatus, and I just got, I don't know, um, I was working pretty full out from home, and, you know, by the end of the day, I just wanted to turn off the laptop, let alone look for conferences to speak at. But if um, if I get the call, um, the call for speakers for the next conference, I will be putting something in, because I think now I have something to say again. <laughs> right. Well, when uh, people listen to this, you may well get called up. <laughs> so you've not got any conferences coming up? You've not got TCK, I, but have you got anything else? I do have. I do have one, and that's uh, Omnichannel X, which is I've heard of that. Not, yeah. not conference, and I'm talking about uh, why um, why you need content operations to make Omnichannel work. Uh, that's kind of interesting for me because uh, I firmly believe that if you don't have like a really good, strong operational model, that you're not going to get the results you want at the other end. I mean, the, everyone wants to try to do it with machine learning and artificial intelligence and so on, but we're not quite there yet. So you really do need structured content and metadata and all those things that we know about as technical communicators, right? I hope you found our conversation engaging and informative. I really enjoyed chatting with Rahel and I would like to thank her for being this month's guest. If you have any questions for her, you can find her on LinkedIn. And now for some news. Don't forget that the ISTC is looking for entries for the UK Technical Communications Awards. Also, the ISTC Thames Valley Group held an in-person meeting in March, and it sounds like it was really enjoyable. The next meeting is on Tuesday the 5th of April at 7.30pm. The venue will be the Three Horseshoes, Marlow Bottom, SL7, 3RA. Don't forget that the Omnichannel X Conference 2022 is set to take place from June the 13th to June the 16th. It looks like it's going to be full of enthralling talks and presentations, so make sure you've got your ticket. That's it for this month. Join us next month when I'll be chatting to CJ Walker about all things artificial intelligence. Our chat will be worth waiting for, I'm sure. I want to thank Rahel Bailey once again for being my interviewee this month, and thank you all for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, comment, subscribe and share. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with feedback or if you want to get involved in any aspect of podcast production, just email me at istc.org.uk. You can find out more about the ISTC at istc.org.uk or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to tune in next time. Goodbye.